Have you ever played in a mountain stream? Like one of those really cold mountain streams, you put your feet in, you're like, oh my goodness. Uh, growing up, my family used to always go to the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. We would normally be in East Tennessee, and I can't tell you how many times I've camped next to one of those mountain streams. We would often go, my brother Jason and I, and then uh, another family went with us. Their, their kids were Josh and Amber. And these, we were the, the, the crew, man, and we would go to these mountain campsites. And from the time we got there to the time we left, we were playing in that stream. I just looked it up this past week on Google, and like the average temperature in those mountain streams is like 45 degrees. It's cold, but we didn't care. You ever take a kid to the water and they don't know that it's cold? I mean, we're out there and we're looking for crawfish and salamanders. I remember we found a bunch of snakes. One time we walked up on a, a little family of raccoons. We got to watch them. And like, that's how kids need that, by the way. You need to get out and just let them play in nature. We're walking up and down. And the whole time we're freezing cold. We don't realize it, but we're like stubbing our toes everywhere and scratching our feet and are cutting ourselves. And then something would happen. We get out of the water, we go sit by the campfire, dry off for a minute, and we get warm, and we would thaw out, and then we would go to walk. And I remember distinctively walking and being like, oh, like why are my feet so sore? Well, bro, you were just in freezing cold water. You didn't feel it. And you, you know this phrase, like you go swimming with somebody, and they're like, you know, it's not that bad once you get used to it. Well, yeah, yeah, you don't know you're freezing to death when your skin is numb. Like, you have no idea. Kids especially have this thing. Like, they will be completely blue. A lot of you were at the worship we had at the beach, at Riceville Beach, a couple, like, like last week on Wednesday. We were up there. I don't know if you remember the weather here for the last couple of weeks, but it was not swimming weather at the beach, but it was in the evening. The sun is going down. We just finished worship on the beach. It's windy, and our kids are like, yeah, swimming time, and they're playing. I'm like, y'all crazy. Now, as an adult, I've taken my kids back to these same streams, and it's crazy to watch that they do the same thing. They jump right in and they play. As an older person now, I'm like, nah, I ain't trying to get in. That's, that is cold. I'm a good dad. I eventually get in reluctantly and against my will. I get in and I get out as quickly as possible, but I don't want to be in there because it's cold. When you are cold, things get numb, and you can make poor choices. That's where I want you to think today. You don't realize you're stubbing your toe. You don't realize that you've cut your leg and you've bruised something up. And maybe, maybe you've like chewed on a cup full of ice to the point that your tongue is numb and you talk funny. Or you've played outside in the snow with no gloves on until you're like, I can't feel my hands. Or you've had like work on your car in December. And you're like, I can't turn this wrench anymore. You can't function right. And most importantly, you don't know when you've hurt yourself. Numb. That's what we're starting today. Um, we're in week three of this teaching called Salt and Light. And it's a series based on the Sermon on the Mount. So if you've got a Bible today, go ahead and grab your Bibles. It'll be in the New Testament, the book of Matthew. The Sermon on the Mount happens in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And in this whole sermon, it's like this opus teaching of Jesus's where he's going to like lay down basically some of his most important teachings. And it's all written down in one section. And in and, and the first section, there's this moment where he compares his followers to salt and light. Basically because he says, you as my followers, you need to make a difference, a big difference everywhere that you go. Just like salt makes a big difference everywhere you put it. And light makes a big difference in darkness. You as my followers need to do that. And his big takeaway that's going to be like resonating throughout these whole three chapters is this. It's not just about doing the right things. It's doing things for the right reasons. It's not just doing the right things. It's doing things for the right reasons. And so we're finding ourselves today right in the middle of like six initial big ideas. 
So he's going to address six initial big ideas that are all addressed in the Old Testament law. And he's going to say, you, you have heard it said from your religious teachers, from your rabbis, from your synagogue leaders, that this is true. There's some sort of truth from the law. Now, it's, and it's good. It's good moral truth. But then Jesus is continually going to say, it's not just about doing the right things. What I want to do is make sure your head and your heart are in the right place, doing it for the right reasons. And so this week, we're actually picking up uh, in the, the second of these six big ideas. And then after that, it's going to go into some other big ideas. The second, we're actually going to handle the second and the third. And um, so depending where you are in your life today, today is going to feel like too many sermons. And there's two ways you can understand that phrase. <laughs> too many sermons. Why are we doing so many sermons today? There's too much. There's also another way of understanding it. Too small sermonettes. Uh, and the reason is because there are some overlapping ideas in the two sections. And honestly, I didn't want to preach through this twice. And I don't think you did either. And I think secondly, it's more important that we, we see that Jesus is talking into an important area of our culture that we are neglecting right now. In fact, to go back to my opening story, we as a culture are numb too. And God has a plan for us to thaw out and understand him better. And so, if you've got a Bible, let's go and flip over. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew's in the New Testament of the Bible. It's one of the four biographies of the life of Jesus. And so, if you need a Bible today, we've got some free ones we give out every week that, by, by the door on this gray shelf. Feel free to grab one, use it for the service, and put it back when you're done. Or if you need it to keep, it's yours. Just keep it. Write your name in the front. We want everybody to have a good Bible. Look it up on your phone if you want to. I'll have scripture behind me as well. I talked about losing feeling in cold water because today as we pick up in Matthew chapter 5 starting in verse 27, Jesus is going to address something I think that we as a culture, we as a world for many, many generations have been completely numb to. And Jesus is just going to call it out. So here we go. Let's just do it. Matthew 5, 27. Jesus says, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to burn in hell. Or if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Whoo, Jesus, <laughs> he's dove right in, right? Um, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. All right, so we're just going to dive into this on the deep end because that's the only way to do these topics. And I want to start off by saying this. Throughout this whole passage, Jesus is going to speak as if the only people in the audience are men. He talks about looking at a woman. Like The reality is that that's very cultural and it's a language thing. It's a first century thing. But all of this stuff applies to all of us. And so even though the applications and the illustrations might seem like he's only talking to men. Oh, no, he's talking to all of us. Okay, so none of us are off the hook. Um... And so what's this all about? Okay, we already talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we talked about murder and anger and how it's not just about what you do, it's about your heart behind it. And so I'm 99% sure, though, that the audience here, maybe everyone in the audience, knew exactly what he meant when he said, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. It's the seventh commandment from the Ten Commandments. It's one that they probably talked about a lot, just like in our culture today. And adultery was strictly forbidden. In fact, in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, it says that if anyone was caught cheating on their spouse, uh, that one of the penalties could be death. You guys should be executed. It's just to clarify, adultery is being unfaithful to your spouse. And so, you know, in a modern culture, we might have different definitions for this, but in this culture, it was very, uh, like, like it is today, the question is, like, what are grounds for divorce? 
You know, what, 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 not, not divorce. What, what, what is adultery? What is adultery? How far do you have to go for it to be adultery? And the general consensus was, well, it's some sort of physical misconduct, right? I've crossed a physical line. So as Jesus says, you've heard it said. The audience is sitting there going, yeah, we heard that. And we know how big of a deal it is. And we know the standard of God's holiness for our marriages, but I'm feeling pretty good. I've never committed adultery. I've never physically cheated on my spouse. I've never done that. But two weeks ago, we noticed, remember we were talking about uh, murder and anger. The idea of sin is not something that just happens on the surface. It's something that begins under the surface. You might remember my rose bush, and I kept mowing it with my lawnmower because I didn't want a rose bush right there, but I never dug up the roots. So what happened? The rose bush kept growing. And so what Jesus is getting at through this whole section is like there are roots to our sin that are deeper than our actions. And it has to do with with what's happening in our minds. So he flips the script on them in verse 28. We already read it, but let's look at it again. He says, you've heard it said all this other stuff, but I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What is lust? Well, this is the idea of of thinking through some sort of sexual context in your mind. Where's the line on that? Where's the black and white or gray of that conversation? Well, that's kind of the whole point of this passage. We're not looking for a black and white line. How close can I get to it? But instead, Jesus is saying, I want you to purify your mind. If you even cross these lines in your mind, you've actually done the unthinkable thing that your culture has said is completely unacceptable of committing adultery. And you've got to hear the audience going, wait, what? Hold up. Hold up. Now, don't you accuse me of that. Now, we've all had thoughts, but I've never done that. And Jesus says, no, it's a big deal. Let me tell you how big of a deal it is. It's a big deal. I'm not just talking about waiting around for something physical to happen. I'm telling you that whatever happens in your mind has already crossed the line. My observation of this is that this was said 2,000 years ago, more than 2,000 years ago, and Man, is it relevant today, right? I mean, we live in a hypersexualized culture. I can't go a whole day without being bombarded with some sort of image or message that's trying to use sexuality and sensuality to sell me something or convince me of something. Everything from cheeseburgers to real estate to whatever you want to sell and how you dress a person and how you put them before you. And, and it's, it's so deep in our culture, it's been normalized to the point that we're numb, It doesn't matter to us that God has forbidden it. It doesn't matter for us that it's like going to take us down a road that's really going to be destructive to our lives. Instead, we go, "Eh, it's not a big deal. It's not that bad once you get used to it. And the reality is it hurts us individually. It hurts us as a culture. It hurts God. It breaks his heart to live out what is not his best for us. And we become numb. Like a kid walking in a mountain stream busting our toes, scraping our feet. We don't even realize it. We're numb to the evil of it. We're numb to the pain that it causes. We're numb, and we don't even realize how close to the the fire we're getting until we're burned. And then we look at the world, and we're like, how did things get so bad? What in the world? This whole world, what is wrong with it? But it has begun with some seed in our mind that we just let the blossom and grow and we don't even take action because we're numb. And as a people, we've turned our backs on God. And we've turned our backs on his desire for our purity and his plan for intimacy and romance and relationship and sex and marriage. And we've just been like, Pfft. we make our own rules. 
I do what makes me happy. I do what the news says is okay, and I do what culture says is okay, and I do what the, the latest country music singer or rapper or movie star says is cool. Because after all, what does God know? And when we're numb, it just destroys us as a people and as individuals. And he wants us to get the feeling back. He recommends some pretty hardcore ideas. Verse 29. So if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. Throw it away. That's gruesome. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Oh, that's pretty good logic. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. Same logic. And I got to say, man, I've read Jesus a lot and for a long time. And I don't know of a more hardcore thing than Jesus says than this. Uh, there's lots. There's some hardcore things. There's a moment in the, the TV show, The Chosen. Uh, maybe you've seen that. And Matthew's listening. The character Matthew's listening to, the character that plays Jesus, about the Sermon on the Mount. He's planning it out. And Matthew's like listening. He's like, you want to say that? <laughs> this doesn't sound very encouraging. This doesn't sound very exciting. And Jesus says this, I'm just paraphrasing, but he looks back at Matthew and he's like, what do you want me to say? You want me to get up and be like, hey, you guys are doing great. Don't change a thing. Just keep doing what you're doing. It's going fine. No, of course not. But what does Jesus mean about this gouge out your eye, cut off your hand stuff? I mean, that's grotesque. Is he literally uh, advising that? Uh, throughout history, there's been so much debate, like how far is he really expecting this to go? And some people have gone as far to do some of those things. And here's why I'm convinced that that might not be literally what Jesus meant. One, because if you gouge out your eye, guess what? Well, you've got two eyes. And so gouging out your eye is not going to fix the problem. Same thing with your hand. The other problem is this. With no hands and no eyes, guess what you still have? A mind. God, Jesus is not addressing just physical sin. What he's saying is like the things that happen in your mind are important. And so what he's saying is, like, this is how far it needs to go. So, so what about the, I've heard this concept called radical amputation. What does that mean really? The question is like, what causes you to stray from God? Specifically, he's talking about lust here. But we all have different struggles that we sin, you know. But what, what's causing you specifically to lust, for example? Is it too much alone time on the internet? Okay, then you need to amputate the internet from your life. You need to get it out. You need to cancel your service or stop going to certain websites or whatever it is. I know people who will not have smartphones and will not have uh, internet in their house because they know, like, like I'm not even going to entertain this stuff. Maybe it's a TV show that you watch and you binge all the time. And yeah, it's really good. Everybody's talking about it. But dude, it's straight up softcore pornography and you know it. Okay, so cancel your subscription to that if you can't stay away from that. That's the amputation part. You cut it out of your life. It's about cutting off access to temptation. I know people who won't go to the beach with sunglasses on because they know it allows them to let their eyes wander without anybody knowing and looking at people in their bathing suits, right? Am I being real here? Yes. Was I a youth minister for 10 years and I'm not scared to talk about it? Absolutely. I want you to know this is important and our culture is going to talk about it. In fact, it's probably the most common topic that we talk about. It makes more money than anything else, but the church is silent on it. We don't talk about it. And that's why things are so hard sometimes, because we're afraid to bring it up. I struggle with this. And Jesus says, cut these things out of your life if it's causing you to go there. What is a pure mind worth to you? What are you willing to cut out of your life to get there? When you're numb to sin, the only way to thaw out 
is to get out of the freezing cold water. Go thaw out. Go somewhere else. Get away from that stuff. What Jesus is saying is like, don't be numb to this huge issue. So if if you're deep into some of this sin, can I just encourage you? Get out of the water. Start there. Find some accountability for it. Like, tell somebody, like, look, I'm just, like, going way too far in my thoughts. In fact, it's leading to me taking action. This is bad. I need to do this. And it's not for some prudish, legalistic reason. It's because it actually impacts our soul and the way that we can interact with our God and his creation and the world around us. You wake up every day feeling like an absolute um, just failure or hypocrite. Or you're so numb that you don't even care. Get out of the water. Um, That's Jesus' point. I told you this is going to be like two mini sermons. That's the first one. <laughs> Thanks, Jesus. He doesn't pull any punches. I think he says everything in like, I don't know, 75 words, and he's done. Uh, then he gets to the second mini sermon, and uh, I like it because they kind of go hand in hand, and the one can kind of lead to the other sometimes. I love how straightforward he is on this sensitive topic. So he's going to just keep on going. And so as we, unfinish, uh, as we finish unpacking this passage, Jesus finishes talking about adultery, and he gets into what might be a problem, a situation that has impacted maybe more of us in this room than any one single thing. He's going to say the D word, divorce. I recognize I need to tread lightly and and be sensitive because in this room of however many people are here, there's that many different experiences with it. But I'll say this, I'm pretty sure that all of us have on some level been impacted by divorce. And I very rarely use this word in sermons, but I think language is powerful Divorce sucks. It's terrible. The way that it hurts you physically, uh, hurts you emotionally and mentally and, and the thing it does to families. And like, so I don't have to tell you all that. You know it. But the reality is we've got questions about it. So Jesus talks about it right here. Uh, I need to say a couple of things and I'm going to keep on giving these little caveats. I want you to know this. If you are a divorced person, you are welcome at this church. God loves you. He's got a future for you. You are not forgotten. You are not broken beyond repair. Even if you were the guilty party in the separation. Um, okay? You're welcome here, and we want to help you walk through that. And so I hope that you can find some, some community here to help you through that. But with all that, let's read what Jesus has to say about it. He's going to say very little, and I'm just going to say a couple of other things because this week probably would need like a whole weekend workshop for everybody. We're just going to see what we can do with it in the time we have, though. Matthew uh, 5, 31. Once again, Jesus says, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. This is just kind of some Jewish, some Mosaic law. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. That's some sentences you're going to have to spend some time spending on. I, I even like go back and forth on like, what exactly is he saying? But what I want to tell you is this. That I think that what we're going to break down after this is going to make the point. Um, even in Jesus' time, there was a lot of debate over what constitutes grounds for divorce. And so it was everything from like, uh, they burned my food to like, you know, some kind of physical unfaithfulness. And I was like, on both ends of it, what, what we do see here is this. There are apparently grounds for a divorce. I mean, it happens. Jesus, Jesus is talking about it. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount. He brings it up. So it's, it's something that is allowable. Deuteronomy 2, uh, Deuteronomy verse tw- chapter 24, verses 1 through 4, just to summarize it. Basically, what it says there is like, there's grounds as long as something indecent has happened. The question is, what is that? What is that? What is indecent? How far does that go? Um, so what does the Bible say about divorce? Actually, that's pretty simple. Well, at least the first part. 
God doesn't want it for you. That's, that's what the Bible says about it. He doesn't want it for you. That was not his plan for you or for your marriage, and it wasn't your plan either. You didn't want that either. Nobody wanted it. It's, it's kind of like if my, my son came to me, and he's driving now, and he's like, Dad, uh, what, is, what is your best plan for me to get in a wreck today? Like, what's your best plan for that? Well, I'd be like, I'm, uh, my plan is that I hope that you don't get in a wreck. Like, I want you to drive safely, and I hope everybody else drives safely, right? That's, God doesn't, like, write in instructions, like, if you want to hurt yourself, this is what I want you to do. But on the other side, I know that my son may get in a car accident, right? So I helped him learn how to drive, and we got insurance, and we constantly are checking in on him and stuff like that. We pray for him. And so just like that, God has all these areas in Scripture where he's like, listen, there's this thing I hope for you, but I also realize it's not always going to go well because of the brokenness of the world. And so here's some more for you. So here's what, what I've done. I, I kind of went through and, and I sat with some friends and I prayed about it and I thought about it. And I, I think we've identified like maybe four different camps that you might be in today when it comes to divorce. And in these different camps, I'm going to give you at least one piece of advice that I think is all bi- biblically solid. And I'm not even going to give you the biblical references for it because it would just take too long. But it's enough to be like, it's plenty in there that you'd be like, okay, this is where God stands on this. So let me tell you the four camps one at a time. And each one I'm going to give you a piece of advice. And this is for everybody. I mean, we got kids, teenagers in here. We've got single people. This is, this is for everybody. There's, you'll fall in one of these camps. The first one is this. You've never been divorced. That's the first camp, okay? So whether you, like, are married now and never been divorced, or, like, you've, like, uh, you're a kid, you've never even had a boyfriend or girlfriend, you never, like, you've never been divorced. Okay, so this is, this is the advice. The first plan is prevention. You, you prevent it by putting God at the center of all your relationships. That's your goal. It's, it's preventive maintenance. Same thing you do with anything, a house, a car. Your goal is from the get-go to say, I want to prevent this. And this goes into a lot of different areas. Like, on the one hand, it's like the numbness thing we talked about in the first half, about, you know, things like adultery and lust. It's like, you need to prevent the things that might corrode a marriage later. You need to prevent that. You need to seek holiness. We often enter marriage with the goal of happiness. And I hope that for you. But God actually institutes all of our relationships so that we can experience holiness. He wants us to understand who he is and our relationship with him and the world around us. And so it starts with even like who, if you're not even dating, like who you're dating right now, who you're thinking about marriage. Like if this person doesn't have God, Jesus at the center of their life, I, I, I wouldn't recommend them as a candidate to be your spouse. I recognize that happens sometimes and you can actually have a really happy marriage. But if we're doing preventive maintenance, we gotta be on the same page. So maybe that's where you are. Maybe you are in a marriage right now. Let me just tell you, uh, preventive maintenance. You know when people get divorced most often? When their kids move out of the house. Please don't let your career or your children come in the way of your marriage. The responsibilities of career and the responsibilities of children are very important. But there's going to be a day where you're retired and have no kids in the house. And you still got to look at that old mug across the room from you. Okay, so go on dates. Tell your kids, no, we're not going to sign up for yet another soccer league because mom and dad are going on a trip. (laughs) Be in community with them, with them. Don't have separate lives like your strangers living in different worlds. Have some of the same friends. Do some of the same thing. Look, we're made different. We complement each other because we're different. Some of you are night and day from your spouse, and actually that really works well for you. But don't lose sight of the fact that you got to maintain this thing. So that's preventative maintenance. And there's so many different things, but I'm just encouraging you, don't neglect. Uh, and if you have neglected your marriage, and you're looking right now going like, things are rough, it's not too late. It's not too late. It's not too late to do some of that preventative stuff and, and start by putting God at the center. Could I say more? Oh, absolutely. Am I an expert? No. And so here's what I want to say. If you're wrestling through some of this stuff and you're not divorced, 
I want you to know, I want you to reach out. Reach out to me. I'm not the expert, but I'll do my best to plug you in with some prayer partners and some people and some things. And so, which gets us to our second camp. The first camp is, uh, you're not divorced. The second camp is, you are married, but you're struggling. Your marriage is on the ice right now. Um, Can I start by saying this? I'm so sorry for whatever's led to that. And I know that you're more sorry than I am, but I don't want to disregard it. I know that's not what you signed up for. I know that's not what you stood on your wedding day hoping for. So I'm sorry. Um, But what is our advice here? Uh, So many different pieces, but this is one piece I want to throw out there. That before you take it to court, take it to Jesus. Um, What does that mean? I mean, what if they're not even interested in talking about religious things and You've known this for years, and they're sick of your Jesus mess. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. But, but, but actually, you know what you're responsible for? You. I tell my kids that all the time. I have to tell myself that all the time. You're responsible for you. And sometimes we get too enamored with movies and books and stuff where, like, the old Jerry Maguire line, like, you complete me. You complete me. And we look for that soulmate that's going to make my life perfect. But that's actually not how God designed us to, like, well, you're not complete unless you have a lifelong spouse and you're happy. God actually designed you to be completely efficiently complete all by yourself with him. And so the advice is actually similar to the first half. Put your heart with Jesus. Do everything you can do to get right. And before you take it to court, take it to Jesus. And so invite your spouse. Look, and admit your brokenness. If you have it, you do, by the way. You say, listen, can we, can we work on this? Um, I know I, can't over, I don't want to oversimplify this, and I know that it's complicated and there's nuance, but I want to tell you this. If you're going through this, reach out. Don't do this alone. Again, I'm not an expert. I don't have all the resources in the world, but you shouldn't do this alone. And I'd love to plug you into some resources. We actually have a couple of people, some of our elders actually, and their spouses who are ready to teach a class called Love and Respect. That's a really good class that helps people... Uh, renew that marriage foundation and i'll tell you this thousands of couples every year in fact i know of a couple of you in the room right now i'm not going to call you out because that would not be cool but who decided to not take it to court but take it to jesus and it's been beautiful to watch y'all's relationships be rekindled and healed and i know it's still a struggle that's okay because you married a human um if you didn't know that and they're messed up and so are you but there's grace and there's forgiveness in that so that's the second camp. Third camp. What if you have been divorced? You've been divorced. Okay, well, let me say this again. You are welcome here. I'm glad that you're here. And you need to know that that thing is not unforgivable. The church might have told you at some point that God hates you because you're divorced. That is not what the Bible says. That's not what Jesus ever says. That's not what God ever quoted anywhere else. No prophet said that. There's a passage that says that God hates divorce. Well, yeah, don't you? But he doesn't say, I hate divorced people. In fact, you know what he says to you? I love you. You're my child. I want to restore you. Okay? So you need to know that. Um, what advice could I give to you? Wow. I, this is what I landed on. <laughs> I hope it's helpful. This is the advice. Uh, one, take your hurt to Jesus. And two, take it slow. Um, maybe the other person's given up on taking it to Jesus. I'm so sorry. But take your hurt to Jesus. There's healing in that. You've got a future. You've got joy. He's got purpose for you. But take it slow. Before you consider any other relationship, don't, don't take that baggage and that hurt into somebody else's life. Um, be careful about getting too emotionally close to someone while you're going through that hurt. 
I can't give all the advice in the world, but those are the things I wrote down. Take it to Jesus and take it slow. Let your church family know that, what, that it hurts and let us pray for you um, and, and know that there's a second life beyond that. I've seen God bless second and third marriages. I've seen God bless second and third singleness. <laughs> and uh, he will use you if you let him. Again, if you're in this and you're struggling, reach out. I want to help as much as I can to plug into resources and people. The fourth camp, the final camp I want to speak to, and this is a beautiful camp of people. Those who may remain single. I think we as a culture, we as a church, maybe us specifically as a church or the church worldwide, like we kind of glorify marriage to the point that if you're like end up being lifelong single, you're like, oh yeah, I'm just chopped liver and everyone's forgotten and I haven't done it right. No, that couldn't be further from the truth. Remember what I said earlier that God created you to be uniquely uh, fulfilled all by yourself? I want you to know this. You are enough. God has given you everything you need to be an amazingly productive and good person in his kingdom. In fact, the Apostle Paul talks about it, who, by the way, was lifelong single. The Apostle Paul says, you know what? For some, singleness can be a gift, and it's better than being married. Because, you know, look, I've been married for 20 years, and it's been wonderful. I've been blessed with a great marriage. But I'll tell you what, it comes with challenges, for one. It also comes with responsibilities. I'm not responsible to Lindsay. I'm responsible to my children. And there's things I simply can't do for the kingdom of God that a single person can do. And so my, my, like, I guess, advice for you is this. Celebrate your singleness. Do it. Live it out. And don't go through your life feeling like, maybe one day I'll be happy. No, no. God can bring you so much joy exactly where you are. And maybe one day that lifestyle will change for you and, and, and you weren't planning for it. It's like, wow, this was a surprise. You have so many friends in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and older who were never married and never divorced, and to see them serve in the kingdom of God is like, dang, you're killing it. So some of you that are in the room right now, you inspire me, and that's, that's my advice. Celebrate your singleness, and, and, and maybe you can come alongside those who are struggling through some of these other things and say, let me be there for you. Let me be a friend. Um, once again, uh, if, if, you, if you want a prayer for this and you want some resources, then reach out, you know, because it's like some people who are living in singleness are like, they just don't feel enough. And don't do that alone like anything. Okay, those are the four camps. I don't know what to say. I'm no expert on all of it, but Jesus talked about it in like his most important opus sermon in the whole Bible. And I think it's really important that we address these two items. The ideas of what the sins that go on in our mind and how that leads to things in our life. And then what happens in this really unique relationship called marriage when things break down. And I think it can all be kind of combined, drawn back to this numbness idea. And you can make that application however you want to. But what I want to challenge us to do this week as we think about this very personal part of our life, the sexual part of our life, intimacy, romance, relationships, specifically those things, a major, major part. I see some of our youth group in the room this morning, and I want you to know I'm talking to you. I see some of our older people in the room. I'm talking to you. Married couples, I'm talking to you. Single people, I'm talking to you. Because I know that God wired us in a good way. Sex was God's idea. So it's a good idea, okay? But he's given us context for that, which is marriage and no other context. That's the context for it. And when we begin to live outside of that in any way, it is going to break down how he created it to be. So how do we keep ourselves pure and focused and keep our minds from getting numb? I decided to close up with scripture. That's all I know how to do with this passage, with this idea. And so I'm going to look at one of my favorite passages, and here's my, here's my challenge this week. The challenge this week is this, Philippians 4.8. 
Write it down. Uh, underline it somewhere in your Bible. Philippians 4.8. My challenge is that you read this passage every day this week. Philippians 4.8. And if you want to be a super achiever, memorize it. I've memorized this passage like 10 times in my life and then I have to keep memorizing it because it's actually like a list of things and like lists get confusing in my head. Uh, but it is powerful because if you want to thaw out from the numbness that's happened from our just like becoming callous to sin in our life, it takes a rewiring of our brains. That's how we thaw out. And so let me just read it to you. The Apostle Paul says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true and whatever is noble, whatever is right and whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Think about such things. What should we focus on? What should we have in our minds? These are the things. Whatever is true. If something's a lie, don't focus on it. Whatever is noble. If something's like just grimy and... Do noble things. You are princes and princesses in the kingdom of God. Your daddy is the creator of the universe. Don't slump to that level. Think of noble things. Whatever is right. What's the opposite of right? Wrong. Don't focus on the wrong. Focus on the right. Whatever is pure. You know, the holiness of God is not just something we talk about in songs. It's something he calls us to. Purity. And with a pure mind, we can really be thawed out. We should be offended sometimes when we turn on the TV and some things are on. We should be like, oh. Most of us wouldn't like just walk into a strip club and just be like, this is fine. But we put it right on our TVs all the time with our kids in the room. We should be like, oh, that probably shouldn't be on our TV. Whatever is pure. Whatever is lovely. I love that one. It's just lighthearted and good. Whatever is admirable. Can I look up to this? Do I want my kids to imitate this? That's what I want to focus on. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, if you read this every day this week, it will impact you and something's going to happen. You're going to start to fall out. And you're going to start to feel the soreness in your feet and your hands from being in the cold water. And you're going to turn on your TV and you're going to open up your phone and you're going to be in conversations where you're going to be like, oh, that's kind of tender. Guess what? You're thawing out. That's good. You might want to step back into it a little bit because it's like, well, this is what I've always done. But no, 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 no. As we thaw out, suddenly we realize like, that's not how I want to live. That's not who I want to be. It'll impact our heart, our minds, our relationships, how your stuff at home goes, your communication with people. God can take the ugliest parts of our life, the most hurt, the most difficult to manage, and he can make it beautiful. It's not always instant. It takes time. It takes community sometimes. It takes accountability. It takes time to heal. But it's always better when God gets in and helps us heal. And our world's become numb to the things that hurt us. But you don't have to be. Let's get out of the water. Let's get by the fire. Let's warm up those extremities. And let's live out the kingdom of God in Wilmington and everywhere else you go. Not to be approved. Not to be legalistic. Not to just point our fingers at everybody else but say like, guys, we got to get out. It's so much better out here. We get out of the freezing water. We start living a life that honors Jesus. And we become salt and light. Can I pray for us this morning?